Welcome back to Legend of the Glorio Heroes, your highest flying recap podcast of the legendary 1988 OVA. As always, I'm your host, G, and I won't lie, I'm coming in hot. Got a lot of bogeys on my tail, but I'm feeling good because with me is my wingman and buddy, Eero, to watch my six. Yep. Hi, I'm still here. Still Somehow. here. You still keep me around. Uh, exactly. Hey, like I said. Doesn't the wingman usually betray you in Ace Combat? No, no. The wingman is usually just uh, ineffectual and useless <laughs> in Ace Combat. <laughs> oh. So, you know. <laughs> I guess that, yeah, that works. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we got a dense trio of episodes this week. You know, yeah. a lot to get through here. So, I'm afraid I can't just use this podcast as another excuse to talk about Ace Combat 7, but... Spoilers. Oh, you can listen to the the Glorio chat. Yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> playing for like half an hour. Yes, yes. We're talking about planes for 30 minutes because I can't help myself. I'm a monster. Spoilers. Ace Combat 7 is really good. I can't I can't stop playing. Someone help me. When, when's the crossover with the magnificent Kotobuki? Uh, just only a matter of time. You know, or hell, you know, when, when, when's the crossover with, uh, with, to keep this on brand with Legend of Galactic Heroes? Legend of Galactic Heroes has got some great space dogfighting in it. Yeah, sure. You know, uh... Hey, Combat ever had space dogfighting? Mmm, I haven't played 3, but my understanding is 3 is the weird, like, cyberspace megacorporation one, so... Okay. You know, maybe that's when that shit would happen. But, uh, I digress. We gotta, we just gotta get into it, because... Boy, not only are, are this trio of episodes uh, interesting, but they <laughs> as are per usual. Yeah, yes. dense. Dense as dense hell. Dense. Yes. Even and they don't even have dogfighting them, but still super uh super intriguing episodes all the same. Yeah. Um So, uh, shall we just roll right into it? Right. So, this episode, episode 14 of Legend of Glorio Heroes, we are covering episode 39, A Departure, episode 40, Julian's Journey, Mankind's Journey, and Episode 41, Operation Ragnarok. Yes, uh, you, you can tell just by those titles alone that uh, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of moving and shaking in uh, these three episodes. So uh, we're just going to get right into it. So Episode 39 kicks off reminding us all that Job Trunick is a selfish, greedy idiot who is going to destroy the FPA <laughs> yeah. with his own two hands. His uh, logic behind... Taking in Kaiser Erwin Yosef and, you know, allowing all this shit to go down is it's no big deal if they try to invade. We have the impeg- impregnable Israel Fortress and also the undefeated commander, Admiral Yang Wen Lee. Because as we can all as we all know in history, nothing ever goes wrong when you have only one good general who can only be in one place and relies on <sighs> One Look, poke point. Yes, yes. It's uh well, we can always get into that another day, but uh Yeah. Long story short, somehow Job Trina convinces the entire FPA that, oh, don't worry. This will all be fine because Because we have Miracle Young. Yes, yes. Uh and uh, related to that, we kinda get a little bit here where uh, you know, Joan Labello and uh, Huang Lewis are hanging out. You know, the yeah. the, the two like only good FPA politicians. And they're kind of discussing, uh, you know, it's it's interesting that even them, who are like the good politicians, still discuss the prospect of Yang becoming a dictator. Yeah, although Labello has always been the like cynical good politician, whereas Huang Lewis seems to be more like optimistic, 
or at least uh, outwardly more so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Hong think... Lewis is like doesn't believe Young could possibly decide to take power, and Labello's like, "Oh yeah, you're gonna keep fucking saying that." Look when he's taking power. I, I think in a lot of ways, Labello. I, I respect Labello. I respect Labello's cynicism on the matter. You know, like because, well, look, I can't profess to know the mentality of a dictator, but oftentimes these kind of leaders don't intend to become that from the start, you know? I mean, you know, we'll, we'll definitely get into it a little bit once we get into the next episode, but the idea of just like the kind of people that become dictators, the kind of personalities and uh, the philosophies they, they, te- they have to have, you know, that they're very morally driven, you know, that it's not enough to just rationally believe in your cause, but uh, a dictator kind of stems from a very certain type of, uh, of uh, kind of you know like what's the word a, a certain kind, sort of like self self convinced righteousness mm-hmm. that I think frankly Young doesn't really have but at the end of the day who can ever say as Huang Lewis says it, it takes a number of ingredients to make both a cocktail and a dictator <laughs> yes and but uh, as we also know though you know uh, Rubinsky is doing everything in his power to. Uh, to get that cocktail going, you know, no yeah. matter what. And so, so is Trunick, apparently, because, yeah. like, as we immediately get into, Trunick is basically using his uh, clout to get some restructuring going on in the military. Uh, yeah. Like, Admiral Coobersley is retiring, and so Admiral Dawson, who's, we saw, like, once or twice as an FPA yes-man type character, yeah, is, uh, being promoted to his position. I mean, Dawson was the idiot who let the whole like you know like national refused, salvation military council stuff happen in the first place. But he so. refused to young like take the fleets or whatever, right? Yeah, well. yeah. And also, he's um, moving some he's issuing orders to move some people around on Ezerlone. Yes, including our our good friend Julian. Uh, precious, we find out precious son. Yes, we find out that uh, found out that Julian has been assigned to Fazan. He has been assigned to uh, to perform duties there over in the supposedly neutral uh, planet. Yeah, and, uh, purpose mainly to get him away from Yang Wenli. Yes, yes, headquarters has purposely tried to separate him from Yang. Kind of um, hold him hostage, I suppose. Uh, either hold him hostage or just get rid of his base, because I, mean, I think. Yeah. They kind of get into this, and you know, I think uh, Shenkov definitely talks about this later. But the idea is that, like, as we saw with the battle uh, between Ezerlone and Geiersberg, that Yang's great, but Yang's not only great because he's great, but because he has a great team on his side. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they're not these kind of like legendary once in a lifetime admirals that Reinhardt has, but they are solid, dependable people that uh, Yang can rely on. And that, in a way, is removing that is indeed removing a lot of his power. There's the inherent like hypocrisy there of saying we oh we'll be fine because we have Young Wenli uh, defending his alone, and then also doing everything they can to remove his power base. Yes, it's. I mean, it's exactly the kind of short-sighted move that greedy, selfish politicians make. So it really shouldn't come as to no surprise. You know, it's uh. It's the sort of thing where it's likely what 
What Job Trunic likely wants is for Yang and Izerlone to hold off the Empire, but just barely, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, he wants Yang to beat the Empire back should they invade Izerlone, but he wants him to do it just barely, you know, with just enough forces to just, you know, you know, slightly pull it off, you know, pull it off by the thinnest of margins. In such a way that Yang does not continue to amass social power. Right. Which again is a real is a real risky gamble to make because uh, you got to be real confident in your forces to be like I'm going to purposely weaken my own dudes because I want them to win but not win too hard. It's uh, yeah. it's definitely a thought. Anyways, to get back to the Julian stuff, you know you can you can kind of immediately tell this is this is hard on Young. I mean, this is hard on everybody involved. You know, yeah. Like, like Julian, for better or worse, is kind of the heart and soul of the Iserlone crew. And, uh, you know, we kind of get this great moment here where Julian, you know, threatens to quit and Yang reminds him that you're the one who wanted to be a soldier. Yeah. Like, this is what being a soldier is. You, I told you not to do this kid. Like I told you, (laughs) don't sign up to be a soldier. Well, guess what? This is the reality of being part of the army, you know? Uh, and despite that, I feel like Yang is also already beginning to make the machinations needed to turn this into something that could work in his favor you know i think i think we're starting to build to this you know we'll, we'll get to, to this at the end of the episode but kind of the building of the, the beginning of the 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 legend the saga of julian Minchi, <laughs> if that makes sense yeah because in a way is julian is he is yang's protege you know not exactly but you know mm-hmm. he is uh the person who has maybe learned the most from yang and Having somebody like that over in Fazan, keeping an eye on things there, could could in yeah. a way end up no, working knowing what we favor. know about the Empire's plans and yes. the upcoming Operation Ragnarok. Perhaps moving Yulian to Fazan is the one thing that will save the FPA's sorry ass. Yes, yes, perhaps. You know, we will we will see because Young basically says in this conversation, you know. Reinhardt's probably not going to attack user alone again. He already saw how it went the first time. Yep. Like, you know, Jan kind of talks about how, like, you know, he thinks that Reinhardt probably has a decent chance of breaking through user alone if he commits enough manpower to it, but it would be too costly. And that, right. and you know, the real play... It would be silly for them to assume for, like, that user alone's the only point of attack, as, as right. it has been. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Young and Reinhardt both basically talk about this in these three episodes, but the idea is that, like, only only society defines that Iserlone is the only passable corridor. Like, only polite society and the laws that are written on paper say that Iserlone corridor is the only way we can get through. Like, physically, like, physically, tangibly, in the world they live in, the Vazan corridor exists, and... It's only the word of law that says we cannot pass through it. Yeah. So, you know, Yang, just like Reinhardt, realizes this truth and the very high likelihood that that is the path Reinhardt is going to take, you know, to uh, to both get past Iserlone, but then eventually isolate it, you know? Yeah. If you basically just come in from both sides of the corridor. But, uh... And, uh... I guess... We kind of then get into this uh, great conversation where Yang reminds us that in relation to this, that there is no such thing as a status quo, right? That nothing is in place forever. You know, no no government, no society, not even humanity. 
and you know mm-hmm. the reality as, of sorry go ahead yeah like as he says the empire has only been around for 500 years right <laughs> and it's like in the grand scheme of like not just mankind's history but the history of the universe that's a short short amount of time you know it's a it's a blip on the radar and uh they kind of get into like the uh, the reality of the three pronged situation of you know the Empire of Fazan and the FPA and how theoretically like what we all talked about at the beginning when Fazan was first introduced is that it's in Fazan's best interest to always support the losing side to keep right. the, the the scales balanced. But what if what if one of those two sides became so overwhelmingly pop, uh, powerful that even if Fazan joined the weaker side, it still wouldn't be enough. Right. And that's kind of what we're seeing here. The FPA has become so weak, so fragile, that even if Bazan threw all of its power with the FPA, it still might not beat Reinhardt in the Empire. And yeah. and Yang explains that in that situation, well, if the FPA is well and truly fucked at that point, then Bazan's better move to, to, yeah, to is to... Up the Empire. Yeah, yeah, and then hope that they are merciful, you know, after the war, basically. Mm-hmm. And... uh and that such a thing is quite a revolutionary move, regardless, though, you know, and that we have Yang kind of talking about what are the what are the possibilities for why Fizan might want a new world order? You know, he lists kind yeah. of all these like very rational, you know, material and you know, right. economic costs. I mean, they're already and, like a major economic power, even if right. they're not a major military power. Right. Yeah. And then... Um, I think you kind of noticed this era yeah, that Julian, Julian actually Julian brings up that uh, yeah. While like on the surface, Fizan like show, already showing his like um, what's the word I want here? His Ins- observations, insight, I suppose, his growing yeah. insight that although on the surface Fizan's motives appear to be economical, uh, they might be they might be trying to take control in a ideological or spiritual sense. Which ties in nicely with the Earth Cult stuff we've seen so far. Yeah. And, and uh, I think it, yeah, we'll, yeah, go I think ahead. we'll get a little more into that uh, next episode. Yeah, yeah. But it definitely gets into this idea that it's easy to always consider the pure, rational, tangible motivations for a group, but that. It's not always often, the case. Yes, that often uh, the motivations are much more in- intangible. You know, they are moral, yeah. they are ideological. And that, might even say petty. Yes, yes. Fucking current events. <laughs> yes. Oh, most certainly. Yes. That that the actions, you know, that people can sometimes make actions that are considered irrational or even highly self-destructive because they are motivated motivated by by uh, ideology and the kind of both inherent danger, but also the inherent power of you know that kind of force and why you know Julian would suggest that that could be Fazan's actual goal. But, uh, yeah, you know, we can only keep talking about this forever because eventually Julian's got to go. So, yeah, you know, Yang kind of, you know, talks about talks to Julian, kind of gives him some advice that, look, you know, I don't I don't love this, but it it is how it's got to be. Then I'm going to prepare you as best I can. It kind of tells him that, like, it's going to be a growing. Yeah. Like, not only will it be a growing moment for you, but like, you know, it's you're you're going to need to widen your horizons. And I think Yang doesn't mean this in just the kind of like, you know, the the surface level, like, oh, you should live in another country for a couple years sort of thing. He's saying that what Julie really needs to get out of 
kind of striking out on his own is that you're going to need to see like what are the morals and values of other societies you know that you've you've lived your entire life from the perspective of living in the fpa and what would you need to learn about the perspective of other nations right and it doesn't just mean like you know i think it's important that they recognize here that it's not just like oh you need to learn how like how they differ but it's more like to intrinsically understand how your morals and values have been shaped by the country you grew up in yeah, and how those can change you know just because of something as as seemingly trivial as you know geographical location mm-hmm. like there's no in there's no inherent val- a greater value between the fpa's point of view and fazan's point of view necessarily right Yes, yes. And that this kind of ties into, like, because what Yang wants Julian to learn is not just the FPA's version of the moral good, but by experiencing more cultures, beginning to understand what is the, like, overall sense of what is, what is morally good in this universe. Yeah. You know, and and he gets into this because he starts talking about, like, to kind of get to it, the, uh, you know, the, the actual eventual fate of the FPA, you know? Right. That at its core, the FEA was born in opposition to the Golden Bomb dynasty. Like, that's what it was literally founded. That's what it was literally created from. Yeah. And so it stands for the things that are in opposition to that dynasty, to that empire. You know, it it ostensibly stands for, you know, liberalism and and, 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 and egalitarian society and democracy, you know. But. And Yang explains here that if the FBA adopts those same totalitarian principles or right. or if the Empire adopts democratic principles, right. there's no or particular not even that, need for the FPA to continue existing. Exactly, right. Because like think about it. Like don't don't think about loyalty to a nation. Think about loyalty to your ideals. Like and if your if your loyalty is to is to, you know, democracy and freedom and the bad guys, you know, the quote unquote bad guys are doing that better than you. Like then think about what that means, you know, think about then if the things that you grew up with are worth holding on to. And I think this is what I actually wanted to get at last episode when I brought up that legend of the galactic heroes takes an impartial viewpoint in regards to the FPA and the empire, because like it does, but only in as much as, it doesn't the the show doesn't care how certain necessarily care like which side achieves certain things it's more important that it does achieve things that are good right so the thing that yes I, i'm glad you know you talked about this because i think this is worth getting into right. so which it's easy, is, it's easy to be like oh it shows that both sides of the FPA and the empire are, are good and bad and like yes it does but in the service of make like in the, point, in the, pointing towards certain things as being right in in the service of achieving good. yes like i think i think the thing that actually legend of the galactic heroes treats in is that while it may be considered impartial in terms of its portrayal of societies and and governments the thing that legend of the galactic heroes actually makes a surprisingly strong stand on is what are the objective moral goods for a society that are worth striving for right you know i think I think, you know, not to call them out too much, but I think this is something that a lot of, like, the, like, maybe shittier neo-monarchist <laughs> Empire fans kind of miss when they're talking about, like, how based and red-pilled the Empire is. 
is like, yes, the empire is this like undeniably autocratic, you know, society that relies on the efforts and willpower of a single great ruler. But what is that single great ruler actually working to achieve? He is working to achieve like widespread rights across all classes, you know, the removal of, you know, privileged class, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like the establishment of, you know, political representation across all, you know, across all demographics, you know, the, uh, the creation of a social welfare system. Like the idea that like, the, the idea that, you know, regardless of, you know, what you might feel about Reinhardt's methods, he is striving to create a society in which, you know, people do not starve, do not suffer, and do not have their voices quashed, you know, regardless of their, you know, racial or economic standing. And yeah, that's and, and, and that's the thing, right? Like, that's what theoretically the FPA stands for, but no right. longer represents. And so those them, are the things them that losing those things is presented as bad, like. Right, you know, yeah, um, they're not good just because they're the democratic society. You know, they would be good yes. because they have things like accountability in the government and social welfare, right. etc. Like the thing, yeah, it's like I think the thing to realize is like, I think it's less that people want to root for the FPA in its current form, but it's more that people want to root for what the FPA represents in opposition to what the Empire used to represent. Yeah, you know, and. What I think that gets to at the end at the end of the day though is like Legend of the Galactic Heroes might be impartial on what is the best way to rule a people, what is the best way to govern a country. But what it does not uh stay impartial on, what it does not, you know, waffle on is what are those goods? You know, like yeah. the show and we'll get into this with episode forty, but <laughs> when they start talking about the history of the Golden Bomb dynasty, but you know, for example, like this show explicitly points out, like, that, you know, uh, that eugenics and racial segregation are bad things, that they are bad for society. Yeah. You know, and that at the same time, it says that there are things like social welfare and political accountability that are considered objectively good things that all societies, regardless of their actual uh, of governing structure, should strive for. Yeah. <laughs> which is to say yeah that's us not getting to this conversation is why i was really upset about last episode <laughs> like look i think you know it took know, us yeah. look the, it's legend of the galactic heroes is a difficult show to to not a difficult show to watch but i think it is a show that definitely it, it is challenging to uh to unpack and it can sometimes yeah. take time for us to like really let those takes sink in yeah so you know i think give us two weeks from now and who knows maybe we'll be even more woke than ever but <laughs> who can really say <laughs> uh, but anyways you yeah. know we'll uh look uh we'll you know we can you know we'll i think we'll have a lot more opportunities in this show to talk about basically like how these governments try to achieve those objective moral goods and uh-huh. again this is not to defend or justify the empire's actions you know i think you know, y'all listening know we kind of maybe bag on Reinhardt. I think that's more just like we know how much power that man controls and what he is capable of doing with that power. And, you know, I think the methods he sometimes takes to achieve those objective goods are suspect. And that sometimes that his actions actually do not result in objective goods. So, you know. Yeah. Don't kill but, kids. You know. <laughs> Pointing at the camera right now. Yeah. Don't kill but, kids. You no. Know, 
We can always get to that. Or later, anybody, but, you know, try not to kill uh, anybody. Yeah, you know what? You know, that's a better stance to take. Not, not just don't kill kids, but like, ideally, don't kill anyone. Like, <laughs> you know, like don't don't kill people. It's uh, I know it's a hot take here, but don't don't kill people. It's it's bad. Unless they're bad guys. <laughs> oh boy! All right. Anyway, uh, no. In all seriousness, so we need to get back to the get back yeah. on track here. So, and so Julian, yeah. uh, you know, as we said, he's got to go. But uh, yep. we kind of so we kind of this moment here where Yang's kind of like having dinner with uh, Frederica and some of the other yeah. like officers, kind of talking about old, like some good old FPA sniping at each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where we find out that you know again, FP, FPA banter continues to be the best, the absolute best. You know, and that additionally, uh, we're finding out that uh, our friend uh, Louis Mashengo yeah. is going with Julian to Fazan. Julian which... and you, Louis Mashengo, crime-fighting duo. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to the buddy cop spinoff about uh, Julian uh, and Louis Mashengo's adventures so, solving be, crimes on Fazan. one to... <laughs> <It's on laughs> I don't know. Fazan. I don't know. Fazan five zero or something. Uh, but uh, but yeah, yeah, just uh, you know, so you know, it's not like Julian's gonna be alone there, you know. I, but uh, but yes, just FPA banter continues to be the best. Yep. You know, uh, we kind of we finally get to uh, you know, we get another moment here with Julian Young hanging out. Julian's packing, getting ready for this trip. You know, yeah, this more, famous famous scene, yes. right? Like, we get to what is probably considered, at least to a casual audience, what is Legend of the Galactic Heroes' most iconic scene is we have Julian commenting on Yang's drinking. You know, yeah. so like, hey, Yang, please, when I'm gone, can you not drink yourself into a hole? And Yang's like, what are you talking about? You know, I mean, I sure I drink, but mm. it's not like I'm an alcoholic. And Julian, it's not, fucking, it's, it's not like our expenditures have doubled. It couldn't have possibly gotten up that much. Julian works out a goddamn, a goddamn Excel sheet, having is about tracking Yang's drinking habits, you know, showing how they've been on the uptick ever since you know, I guess the show started basically. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But you know, Yang, Yang, Yang counters back by saying, you know that uh, calls humanity's friend. How can we abandon a friend? Right, that alcohol has been. Has been a part of human society since basically its its genesis. That uh, alcohol was here with us at the start, and alcohol yeah. will be here with us when we do, when we when we go. Yep. But you know, then, Julian's not worried about when humanity goes; he's worried about next month. Yes, yes, and I was gonna say, Are you like, sure I was you gonna can say, get up without me. Yes, yes, right. Like the thing is, Julian is just so precious. Like I, I, I say he's packing, but it's more like Julian is like the concerned mom, making sure that like the house is clean and ready for Yang being by himself for the next, you know, God knows how long. You know, like if Julian could, I'm sure he would, you know, fucking bake like eight fucking casserole <laughs> dishes and put them in the freezer with like a post-it note about how long to like microwave yes, them absolutely you know julian would fucking cut those into pre-cut pre-made squares oh, and be like all right young eat one of these a day like you know julian if julian had the power he would like you know fucking take a marker and draw lines on a bottle of whiskey Maybe okay. Can you can you stick to this? Can you stick to this line every day? Like, can you manage this, Young? Uh, and, you know, Young yeah. is unable to care himself. Yes, I mean Young Wenli claims he can, but let's be honest, the prognosis is grim. We all know he can't. 
But uh, and, and I think it's just stuff like this, or and what we're actually going to get to here, like is what really gets into like why, despite my you know our constant distaste for the for FPA the government, why FPA the people are so likable and fun to watch, like yeah, like like here's the thing, right? Like Reinhardt's admirals definitely have a fun dynamic, but there's something very genuine about. Because there's the thing, I think the the admirals are peers, but they're also rivals. Yeah. Whereas Yang's crew are they're allowed truly to be friends. They're friends. They are like their social dynamic is just so likable. Because you know, to, to basically explain what I'm talking about, because Julian's about to go, you know, Yang pulls a fucking like end of true ending of Undertale, where he tells Julian to walk throughout the entire Ezer yeah. alone and talk to all of his friends one last time. Julian goes yeah. around, talks yeah, to everyone, like, talks to everyone. Right. <laughs> yes, basically, basically. So he kind of starts with Poplin and Konev, where Konev, Ivan Konev finally mentions, oh, by the way, I got a, what was it, a cousin or an uncle on Fizan, but right, I've never exactly. met him. Yeah. <laughs> so all those connections that we were speculating about turns out it basically meant really? but, well, but at least hey, they finally acknowledge it. Out. Uh, yes. Yeah. Castle but, uh, New tells him not to date anyone because Yeah, you know, don't break my daughter's heart, basically. <laughs> she's even though she's like five. Yes, but I mean, you know, it's it's good natured teasing, right? You know, it's sure. It, it, I mean, I feel like here's the thing. I feel like not to like talk about other anime too much while, you know, doing this podcast, but you know, who I finally realized who Kazanu was kind of reminding me of. Who? He's like proto My Hughes from Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> like yeah, he's a like, bit. like he's the smart guy who dotes on his children. Oh God, he's the smart guy who dotes he's on his totally children. Gonna, I mean, he's oh, totally no. gonna eat it in a phone booth, right? I mean. Oh man, fucking. Oh boy, after 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 Kazanu discovers that Reinhardt <laughs> is creating homunculi. He's gonna get killed in a space phone booth Earth, before you Earth can tell. The secret FBA. is that it's the that's the final point of the galaxy wide transmutation circle. Oh no! <laughs> turns out that Ezerlone and Fazan are just like the key ley lines. <laughs> you know, it turns out that actually, if you look, because everybody thinks, oh, space, space is three dimensional, but actually, if you look at space from top down, the galactic plane. Yeah, yeah. It turns out that. Uh, Turns out it's just a huge transmutation circle, just yep, uh, sure. going to turn everybody into the philosopher's planet. <laughs> and, uh, you'll uh, visit Rosen Ritter and yes, get an official yes. Rosen Ritter patch. Right, right. Julian is called an, an, an honorary Rosen Ritter, which Hell is very yeah. funny. Which is really funny to me in a ways because like the Rosen Ritter are explicitly like what they're like the children of Empire defectors <laughs> who are like. You know, who have been trained to become super mega, like, black ops commandos. So then they're just like, Julian, you know what? You're an honorary Rosen Ritter. Yeah. You know, it's the same way that, like, you know, not to go back too much, but the same way where, like, Poplin was basically like, you know, you could have stayed a pilot. Like, you would have made a badass pilot. <laughs> you know, you're a you're an honorary Starfighter pilot, Julian. Yep. Then the Rosen Ritter, like, well, you're an honorary Rosen Ritter. You're an yep. honorary space commando. Yeah. And uh, uh, Shen Cop hand, hands him his his personal combat knife. Yeah, yeah, like fucking Julian's like looking at his training knife from his like, you know, his soldier days. days. Right, Shen Cop's like fucking here, kid. Take a real knife. <laughs> you know, it's a fucking like, like I kind of want to get into it now, but I kind of love this whole segment because 
It's great. In the same way that we've always joked about Julian rising to become the hero of his own saga, this kind of feels like it. Like, if yes. you want to talk about, like, like some real, like... Suddenly, hero- like, leaving home, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, this, if you want to talk about, like, like, some real hero's journey shit, this is, uh, this is Julian leaving the home. And, you know, kind of receiving the gifts, you know, from from his mentors and his friends that that, that raised him, you know? Like, fuck, dude, like, Shenkov basically pulls a, it's dangerous to go alone, <laughs> take this fucking knife. Like, that uh, might as well be the sword, knife. you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Like, might as well be his, yeah, yeah, it's 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 fantastic, you know. And hell, you even get some, you know, sage advice, you know, from uh from our friend Bogdashu. Fucking Bogdashu, like you know, you make it rounds and slimy motherfucker Bogdashu. Yeah, just slicks the out of the shadows and is like, you know, hey kid, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna fucking kill Yang Wen Li when you're gone. <laughs> <laughs> fucking. Uh... And, and at the same time, it's like even a guy like Bogdashu, it's like has become a part of this weird misfit dynamic. Yeah, like where you know he's like, "All right, kid, how about this? We I promise not to kill Yang Wen Li while you're gone, and you promise not to put a bullet in my hedge, okay?" <laughs> and, yeah, I'd rather and, kill you with my own hands. <laughs> right, right, and you know, but then Bogdashu's like, you know what, kid? Here's a piece of advice, and yeah. you know, what? I think that in a ways. Not only is it good advice, Bogdashu actually maybe gives the most important line in this entire episode in a ways. Like, I'm not, because I'm not as knowledgeable about um, espionage as I am military tactics, I'm not going to go into a huge tangent about this, but Bogdashu basically brings up kind of like what is basically like espionage and like information warfare 101. Which is be wary of where information comes from. Yeah, and not only think about where information comes from, but who stands to benefit from you knowing that information. Yeah, because it, it's a real like you know Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney like logic of like you know eliminate all the possibilities sort mm-hmm. of thing, right? Or like think about it in reverse, but like you know the ideas, and they kind of talk about this, right? Like because we were tangibly shown an example of this in the prior three episodes where Reinhardt immediately guesses, wait, why would it leak out that like, unless someone who would benefit from this information doesn't just appear out of a vacuum, right? Like it is generated by someone, you know, whether, you know, whether it is explicitly given away or it is observed by a third party and then, you know, uh, given to you or, or whatever, or it is observed by yourself. Even if it's observed by yourself, why was it observed by yourself? Why were you able to see this information? What you know? What like immediate interpretations did you come off of that information having? Right, and then of course, who would who would want you to come up with those interpretations? Yeah. Why was this, and, why was this set up in the way that it was yeah. set up? So you know what? For all, for, despite how bad of a spy Bogdashu was when we first met him, you know, like considering how fucking easy it was for everybody to see through his trick, he does have some good advice here. It's and I think that with Julian going to a place as heavy on the like, you know, the the secrecy and conspiracies as a place like Fazan, this might actually be the most important information yeah. that <clears throat> Julian gets. Out of uh, out of all of the mentors he has here on Ezerlone, yeah. And but, uh, uh, keeps finally, around. he uh, says goodbye to Hyperion. You know, Patrichev smacks him on the back. Yeah, yeah. Attenborough gives him a yeah. good luck charm. Yeah. Oh yes, yes. I totally forgot about that one. 
Yeah. And, but uh, then, uh, it's uh, Admiral Murai. Right, Murai, who is the uh, the staff officer. You know, the, the one with the beret, the kind of balding head, always looks stern all the time. The you know, the no fun allowed, yes, the no fun allowed guy of the young crew. But then we kind of get a cool bit here yeah, with Mirai yeah. where... Explains why he's the one who says no fun allowed. <laughs> Right, and he explains that the reason is because Yang is actually both an amazing commander and an amazing staff officer. Like, he is very good at managing his staff. So Mariah then says, well, as the actual staff officer, what what is my role then if my right. superior officer is already so good at my job? And he explains that he has always intentionally played the role of the straight man and the devil's advocate. Because... Yeah. It's not that Mirai ever necessarily believes in what he's advocating for or necessarily wants to be the stick in the mud, but, but somebody has for to those, It's important for those opinions to be vocalized and brought up. Yeah, they, they at least need to be mentioned at the table so that everybody there understands what are the stakes and why, you know, right, when Mirai mentions something that's, you know, unsavory or unlikable, then that forces everybody else at the table to at least, like, rationally grapple with why they find that, like, untenable. And so, like, it's kind of a, it's a fantastic, like, bit for a character who has maybe, like, right, like, less than 50 lines who, who across the, the past, whole show. Who in the past 30 episodes has been mostly standing around and looking grumpy. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, oh, man, like, Yang really did assemble a fantastic <laughs> group of people. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying Yang specifically picked Barai because he knew he would do that role, but more like, you know, the people he has assembled around him are... You know, you know, it, I, I'm going to say, it. like, yes, they're not the legend. Look, Reinhardt's admirals are a little flashier because they're admirals. They command entire fleets. Yeah. You know, fucking fucking Bittenfield has an entire fleet of customized black painted spaceships. <laughs> like, of course, they're going to be more memorable. But like, don't don't fucking get it twisted. Yang's crew are are good people. They're not. Yeah. They're, maybe they're some of the best at their 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 very specific niches, you know, like. And uh, that's there's something to be said for that. Mm-hmm. But uh, the episode he also, finally he also tells Julian oh. that uh, there's something about you that makes people want to trust you and speak to. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perhaps yes, that's your most powerful. Right, kind of forgot that ability. part. We're like, right, Mariah, where Mariah even starts to be like, why am I even telling you in this this in the first place? And it's like, I don't know, man. Like the legend of Julian, it feels more and more real with every passing even, episode. Even even Kirky eyes. Wanted to walk up and talk to Julian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, just... Yeah, look, of all the people Kirk has ever even met in the FPA, like, it was, well, it was basically Yang and Julian, so... Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, but yeah, so finally the episode ends with, um... With, uh, <laughs> Yang giving Julian giving with a his bunch of essentially, money. Essentially a Fazani debit card. Yeah, with a shitload of money on it. And Yang, you know, for all of you, how great Yang is, he also has a very good observation that, you know what? It's money that gives you freedom. So, and, you know, he doesn't want Julian to have to worry about something like that while in Fazan. So, and at the same time, look, it's Julian we're talking about. He's a good kid. You know, Julian's not going to spend that shit unless he needs it. Yep. So, but He's also, I want, I want, but also, I hope that credit card comes into play later. I, I feel like it has to, right? Yeah. Like, just some some episode of Julian and Louis Mashengo's Cop Buddy Adventures, and it's suddenly like, oh no, we need to spend 250000 Fazani dollars in the next five minutes, or we'll, we'll, we're dead. And Julian's like I, it's like, I knew this would come in handy someday. Yep. But, uh... <laughs> 
Oh, and yep. a letter for Bucock. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, because uh, Julian will be uh, rendezvousing at uh, Heineson first before going to uh, Fizan. Yeah. And, and with that, uh, Julian finally leaves. Hmm. Leaves Ezer alone. Yeah, and Mercat leaves as well. To Yes, yes. Because he was uh, appointed as part of the uh, exiled government. Yes, which... Mercat doesn't like that either. We don't really talk about him much, but we, you know, he ain't too happy about that. But also, like, for better or worse, he has been politically outmaneuvered here. Like, he can't, he can't say no. So, you know, off yeah, he goes. Yeah, gives the farewell speech, and he's like, at the strong urging of our government. Yes, yes, the speech is quite good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, man. heads out. He uh, leaves the boards nest. the ship and flies away. Yeah, it's... And then the narrator fucking has the gall to fucking end it on the most goddamn foreboding note ever, where he's like, who can say if, y- if Julian would ever see these people ever again? Right. And I'm like, don't say that! <laughs> like, don't do that to me. Like, I need, I fucking need Julian to see these people again, I swear to God. Yep. But... Yeah. At the same time, though, like, in a way, again, like, this is the beginning of Julian's journey, and here's the thing, like, it's Julian and Louis Mishengo who is, like, you know, one small facet of familiarity, but I think the thing that's kind of exciting about this is that if we ever Julian's get, gonna be going- Yeah, if we ever get Julian episodes, it's gonna be, like, an almost entirely <laughs> different cast. New cast, yeah. yeah. And that's kind of exciting, like, because, does that mean that we're gonna start seeing, like, Julian form his own crew? Maybe. Like, I mean, they've been, because, out, they've been like, so in the focus bits on Rupert uh, and Rubinsky, they've kind of been slowly expanding Fazan's role as like yeah. a viewpoint area. Yes. And I think it's kind of exciting in a ways, like, because if Julian stuck with Yang, he would always just be known as Yang's adjutant or Yang's caretaker, the, the Yang's dish walk, Yang's dish washer slash dog walker slash housemaid slash chef slash butler. I mean the greatest of the greatest sidekick who ever lived, like the Robin no doubt, to but, Young's Batman. Yes, but that's all he'd ever be, you know. And hell, just like Robin, <laughs> off so, to uh, become Nightwing. Yeah, Julian. You know, in a ways, this is this will be good for Julian. I don't know if this will be good for the FPA, but it'll be good for Julian to yeah, to kind of become kind even of more powerful. His, yeah, become his own legend. Because here's the thing, like. Oh my God, we're forty minutes in, and I want to keep doing baseless <laughs> speculation, but like. Like, Yang's great, right? Yang is a legend already, a legendary admiral. But in in many ways, I think, regardless of whatever happens in this show, I wonder if that's all Yang will ever be. Like, Yang does not strike me as the kind of guy who will go down in history as, you know, like, President Yang Wenli or Prime Minister Yang Wenli. You know, we're not going to be hearing about, oh, Yang Wenli saved the FPA and became Prime Minister and served for eight years. No, like, that's not Yang. That's not going to be Yang. Like, at best... Dong is a footnote in history after he retires to become a historian, you know, yeah. and do his own like FPA documentaries, like or dies in battle, know, or that. Yes, yes, but I try not to think too hard about that. <laughs> but even though they're Julian, definitely, yeah, they're definitely building up to that. And there's a definitely just setting Julian up to be his successor. Yeah, but, like that's the thing; it's not just Yang's successor. He's going to be. Poplin's successor and Kazanlu's successor and yeah. Shenkop's successor. He is inheriting the best of Yang's best and brightest. Like, you know, they have a good line there where I think somebody says, like, 
you know, at the end of the day, Yang, you know, Julian will always be primarily Yang's protege, even though he trained with all of us, like, you know, he always was Yang's protege first. And, but also at the same time, I think that's going to make him grow into like a well more, like a, a far more well-rounded person. Yeah. Like he's going to have some of Yang's tactical acumen and intelligence, maybe not the sheer amount of it, but also he's not going to be a total slob. And also he can shoot a gun and knife fight apparently. <laughs> like, like yeah. Julian is already infinitely more well-rounded than Yang Wenli is, you know, and, but has also inherited the most important thing from Yang Wenli, which is his sense of like even keeled observation and, and morality. And uh, I don't know, in some ways, it's like, in a ways, I don't almost go as far as say, I think Julian's more, I think Julian's got more going for him than Reinhardt does, actually. <laughs> like, Reinhardt is smart and also very capable and quite pragmatic, but again, people have a way of believing in Julian. They have a way of following him in, yeah. in opening up to him. And like, I do wonder if the actual, because look, just because of the way they frame the ending sequences, <laughs> I wonder if... What it will actually come down to is like Reinhardt's like hyper cynical competence versus Julian's like emp- empathic competence. Like, right. You know, kind of like these two very competent, very talented, skilled people, but are coming from entirely diff- different philosophies and ideologies. You know, that, Re- you know, Reinhardt is fully bought into Oberstein's like Machiavellian, you know, Machiavellian, you know, politics. You know, I, th- I don't think he's ever, I don't think Reinhardt's ever getting out of that quagmire, but I don't know. I just don't see that happening to Julian. I feel like even, even if Julian were to gain like significant political, you know, or military power, like, I don't know. He's, he's just too good of a kid. Yeah. He, he, he is the potential to be greater than either of them at this yeah. point, I think. That's, that's kind of what I'm thinking, but, uh. We need to get to the other two episodes. Yeah, so, oh boy. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, episode 40, Julian's off on his journey, and, yes, you know, yes. on the way, he's got a lot of time on his hands as they fly to oh Heineken. Oh we have to talk about this episode. <laughs> We're only 45 so, minutes in. He's like, you know, uh, I became Admiral Young's ward, and he talks a lot about history, and... No matter how much they call him Miracle Young or Magician Young, he just says that he applies what he learned from history. So uh, maybe I'll learn about history. Sticks in his space floppy disk into his space DOS computer, uh, you know, and starts up the fucking documentary and <laughs> like that's just the history of mankind. Of, yeah, starting like the history of the Empire. Yeah. Which <laughs> and it's oh boy, we got a lot to go here, so, and we might have to go a little on the quick <laughs> side just because of time. But it's a lot. It's it's so much. This episode is fucking amazing. It's just a twenty-two minute documentary, like an in-universe documentary, and there's so I much to it. say here. You're, you're, so talking, much- you're talking about like the layers of narrative, right? Oh yeah, yeah, the it's layers not, of narrative. Yeah, because it's not just it's not just a narrator. It's not just Mister Narrator Man of the show telling us this stuff about the history, right? It's no, it's in the show. Julian is sitting and watching a, like presumably FPA produced documentary about the history of the galaxy, including 
the opinions of in-universe historians about the history of the galaxy in this documentary. It's yeah. it's 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 a triple layer narrative. Like here's the th- I don't want to get into it too much because again, we are short on time, but usually when you consume a piece of media, the narrator is interpreted as the word of God. If the narrator says something, it is usually considered to be explicitly objectively right. true. Unless that you're is doing what, the, something like first person or right, otherwise right. have created the idea that it's an unreliable narrator. Yes. So that is why when the narrator says that in the history of the Golden Bomb dynasty, X number of, of uh, Kaisers have been assassinated, we understand that to be an objective truth. We trust that. We trust that number, and we accept that. Oh, that is objectively true. Well, however, what this episode does really fascinatingly is—is is, it is not. It could have just been the narrator being like, "Let's take a seat and explain the history of the galaxy." No, it's a, it's a, it's a documentary, and documentaries, no matter how objective or or impartial they try to be, are inherently made with human biases because they are yeah. human-made productions. Yeah. So a documentary in this show is inherently going to have a certain slant. And then these specific people that are chosen to speak in this documentary <laughs> are going to have their own specific interpretations you know, and editorial views on what is being discussed. Like a it's historian, this, D. Sinclair. <laughs> yes. So it's going to have your, these really fantastic it's, – it's a really fantastic multifaceted explanation of like – this episode is a really fantastic explanation of the history of the Legend of the Galactic Hero setting – while also still kind of sliding in those hints and those kind of mentions that kind of real make you realize, oh, at the same time, this is not necessarily perfect history, but this is a history. Yeah. Of, of I the love world that I love existed. the constant. Th- you get the like file video up in the corner. It's like oh yeah, yeah this is yeah. archive footage from from that time, or you right. get like a documentary film because this is a reenactment. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> of this yes. battle or whatever. It's so good. But anyways, just get into it real quick. So we find out about the golden age of mankind. They form the government called the USG. They space year launch number space. one. Yes, space year number one. They have really badass astronaut power armor. That's uh, right. But yeah, that power armor is so game. fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. But then it turns out that uh, going to space is not all good because they're hella space pirates. Um, so they, yeah, they gotta, they, they gotta make a, big, space they made a big army and shut down the space pirates, but yes, yes. Led by, uh, with a big ass army. Yes, yes. Yes. The problem is that they, they have these two like super legendary, hella legendary admirals who like defeat the pirates, but they didn't succeed in totally wiping them out. So like they couldn't disband the army afterwards. So yeah, now but you have a now, space army. Yeah, now we're but that's a, problem. With a massive military industrial complex right. without exactly. anybody to fight because mankind exactly. is united. Yes. And you know, there's this kind of a, they talk about the fear of how a large military was the cause of uh uh, of Earth's uh, own exhaustion of its resources, you know that. Yep, and so you know, even though there was peace because humanity was united, uh, you know, humanity. Do not do not take this as humanity needs a enemy to fight to, you know, to to no, progress think, or whatever. I, but I think it, it more speaks to the idea that like it was less that I think. So we're talking about how basically society begins to stagnate. Right. And I think it's not that, oh, they lost an enemy to fight, but it's more that, like, they allowed them to settle now? into a yeah. status quo. Because they kind of talk about how, like, 
Well, because they talk about how the exhaustion of that pirate war plays a part right. into this. Like it weakened their spirit is how they, they framed it. You know, that uh, as they say, the negative supplanted the positive, pessimism supplanted optimism, and liberalism turned to conservatism. You know, the idea that society as a whole, because because of something as, you know, as traumatizing as this gigantic pirate war. And again, they keep calling them pirates. This war must have been some real fucking crazy shit to call it the fucking pirate war. But, right. <laughs> but, but yeah, so basically it's like the exhaustion of that war. It's kind of what causes a lot of like, because here's the thing, right? After, because after such a giant war, most societies do tend to grow more conservative, specifically, be, specifically because uh, post-war period is a time of reconstruction. It's a time right. of like, it's a time of restricting borders, restricting expansion, restricting risks, because you want to take time to like economically coalesce yourself again. Also, the problem is that they say this takes what's over hundreds of years. Yes, yes, yes. And the problem with that is that like, you know, technological advancement becomes become, uh, begins to fall behind. Uh, you know, the government basically starts to grow corrupt. You know that. The inherent, like the inherent refreshive, the, the inherent, um, re- theoretically, the inherent refreshing nature of democracy begins right. to fail because the government, you know, basically begins to, co- you know, consolidate and uh, kind of hoard its power. You know, uh-huh. they say here that society falls to decadence, that they fall to drugs, alcohol, sexual promis- promiscuity, and <laughs> mysticism, <laughs> which I kind of love. Like, I kind of, I think I, I choose to personally. <laughs> Right, these ridiculous photos of like these like fat naked ladies dancing and like people like fucking getting high with needles, and like, at the same time, yeah. I I do want to point out like they say and the right they, that society fell to mysticism, which in my opinion I choose to kind of interpret as like a slight jab at religion as a whole by calling it mysticism. <laughs> well, well, we're about to get into that in a yes. in a minute here, but yes, I mean we'll just get into it. They're listed, yeah, like people's society is declining. Yes, uh, is what know, they're saying. Times increase. People people lose their morals, take life lightly, and we get a clip from a historian, E.J. McKenzie. Uh, yes, who says that who uh, declares that one of the potential reasons for these problems was that the influence of religion fell dramatically after the unification of Earth. Right, so they kind of... in the apocalyptic time of the 13-day war, which was mentioned earlier as involving yes. a lot of nuclear weapons, uh, and the subsequent 90-year war, yeah. <laughs> no savior appeared, yeah. no God descended to Earth, which... There's a lot to go <laughs> unpack. There is a lot to, there is a lot to unpack, and I mean... Here's the thing, because of the documentary format, I, I think I personally want to believe that Legend of the Galactic Heroes is not implying that, oh, so a society without religion begins to fall apart. No. I think what it is no, actually religion. suggesting yeah. is that the thing about religion, though, is that religion can serve as a set of, like, right of like general communal moral guidelines. Like, re- that is kind of religion's right. role. That is what religion's role was in history. Yeah. You know? It's like... It- I I think of religion as a way that people came up with to like justify their their existence on this earth or or like explain I mean, away think, things yes. they didn't understand and that became a you know and it helps to uh, create a set as of as you said communal moral guidelines. Yes, know? I think but I think that at its core it's like you know for, both for better and for worse basically religion is kind of like 
the original, you know, the original kind of bludgeon used by society to uh, uh, to make form pe- it in a certain act. direction, make people act the way they want them to act. Yes, yes, and uh, that is both that can be both good and bad, of course, you know. But yeah. I think, and I think the idea here they're kind of suggesting is that like in lieu of a strong government, right? Because here's the thing that I think they're actually talking about is that is the idea of like in in lieu of a you know of of publicly man-made laws and guidelines that are enforced by the government society needs some kind of guideline and as we noted but that's, but that's interesting because they talk about how religion fell off after mankind unified right and i think that's what i mean right is that when mankind unified they unified and created what was ostensibly you know, a uh, codified set of laws for all people. Right, right, exactly, exactly, and thus they didn't need religion because they already had their moral guidelines set right. by their you know pre-existing constitution or whatever it was likely called. But when that constitution begins to fail, you know, because they they do make sure to mention that this only starts to happen after the government go- grows corrupt. So with people losing faith in the government and the government losing its ability to um, to to look out for the best interests of its people. In a situation like that, it makes sense then that in an absence of both that and some kind of codified religious guidelines, yeah. that then perhaps that is how a society begins to fall apart. Because I think it's – again, I think that at the end of the day, what Legend of the Galactic Heroes is really saying is not, oh, humanity needs religion to stay moral and good and orderly. What it's saying is that humanity needs guidelines. Yeah. Although uh- – like this and Julian saying talking about religion last episode, yes. plus like all the Earth cult stuff, like it's been a steadily like rising. Yeah, yeah, they have definitely increased the amount of heroes. Yes, they have definitely increased the amount of discourse in Legend of the Galactic Heroes devoted to religion and ideology, and I think, I think again, that's why I think Julian's point is important. Why we talked about it in the prior episode, but also why I think combined combined with this episode, I think that. What the Earth Cult does and what its motivations are, I think, will become very important <clears throat> things that down the line. Yeah. Not only because of the power they hold, but because of what their religious ideology or how their dangerous. religious ideology, yes, motivates them. Because, like, as we said, uh, like the nation can codify laws for the people under it to follow, and ideally, the laws of a nation are made in such a way that they can also be changed by the people of the nation. Over time, yes. whereas I think a something like the Earth Cult would <clears throat> their their potential guidelines are controlled by them and them alone. Yes, yes. And there's they don't need to justify them necessarily right, right. in the same They're, way that right. a nation can. And so you get the you can get those people who are like, well, I don't follow the nation's laws because I follow the one true laws of you know my religion or whatever. Yeah, and I think I think that's the inherent danger, you know, for better or worse. That is the the definitely the, you know, if I'm being generous here, the double edged sort of religion, which is that it is an it is an an inherently inflexible institution, right? Yeah, like laws can change, laws can be amended, but religion tends to, you know, at least 
and here's the thing, I'm not even saying religion has not changed. As somebody who studied a lot of history, oh, no, of course one not. only needs to look at the history of Christianity to see like how many revisions and different versions of that religion they have made to understand yep. that people will change those things. But those changes will not be founded in, you know, as you said, a codified set of law, but they will be they will be on some level changed based on the just the whims and desires of its of those most power, powerful yeah. individuals. And yep. that kind of gets back into kind of the danger of Yes, like just you know, just as we have seen the people of the government in uh, Legend of Galactic Heroes bend the rules to uh, service themselves and themselves alone, so can happen with any leaders. Oh yeah, totally, totally. But anyways, we got a whole lot more episode to go through because we haven't even gotten to the rise of the Golden Bomb Dynasty yet, so... <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy, so okay, so basically shit's real bad, but then Rudolf von Goldenbaum rises to power. You know, he's a he's an admiral in the USG uh, military who uh, does a lot of shit, kills a lot of pirates, and um, and you know, decides to try and fix society, but War as hero the who FBA, goes into politics. Yes. You know? But as the FBA documentary notes, and again, because it's a documentary, this is definitely going to be... That's right. Oh, okay, this is, yeah. this is something the FBA is definitely going to say. It's really interesting that that one, shot, that one thing of him giving his fucking Hitler speech is listed as documentary film and not file video, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as I look at uh, my screen caps here. Right, right. But what I mean is that, like, again, because it's probably a, an FBA, you know, produced documentary, this is not the objective truth, but they do mention that there are people that wanted to fix society. However, rather than try and go for the kind of long-term change, the kind of slow reforms that are needed to fix a government, they decided to go with the short-term fix that is called a dictatorship. And uh, uh, but, but the strong, you know, fast medicine is accompanied by undesirable side effects. Oh, yes, yes. So Rudolf von Goldenbaum rises to power. He kind of you know, builds his political base. He kind of, he, uh, wins a seat in, in, uh, what is it? Uh, parliament. Okay. Parliament at parliament, first. Yes. Congress, you know, right. But then he, uh, he, uh, you know, uh, was he, uh, uh say, takes advantage uh, of a loophole yeah. in the constitution and becomes both prime minister and the president of parliament. Um, which, yeah, I think is a very interesting detail. I'm glad they mentioned this because this is like dictatorship one oh one. Like, people don't just suddenly become dictators. Like, nobody just fucking I'm walks up to... Now. Yeah, right. Nobody walks up to Parliament or Congress and is like, okay, uh, I own everything now. That's just how it is. Like, no, it's always take, a process. They, they take advantage of loopholes and shit right. that people are not sure how to immediately deal with. Yes, yes. It's a process. And, uh, you know, there are, a to- there are untold numbers. Well, not untold, but there are... Uh, there are many examples of this happening in real life with real world dictators. Like there is a reason not even, why not even just dictators, but just stuff. Leader, <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like leaders in general. Yes. Because here's the thing, right? Like, cause they talk about how by being both prime minister and president of parliament, he gets rid of his only checks and balances. And like, this is kind of the kind of thing. This is kind of like why like spoilers making government is hard because right. you need to write, like, you, you need to write in these, um, what's the word I want? Freaking, like, for you need to account for situations you might have never expected to happen. Yes, so, yes, and right? that might, or, it might not ever. Even... Otherwise, you get people being like, "Oh, we don't have to vote on this because there's nothing that says we absolutely have to." 
Right, exactly. Yes, to to bring up some relevant examples, you have a... Basically, you know, the, the way I like to frame it is... The Airbud rule? If, yes, the Airbud rule, that if your rules don't tell everybody that a dog can't play football, a dog will eventually play football. And that is why you have to have that rule there. <laughs> like, because for better or worse, like, even if it makes sense to you, even if you don't write in the rule book, a dog can't play football, you're gonna, you, you, you will assume that... Right, it's common sense. You assume polite society as a whole will respect that dogs should well, not no, play football. But if it, but if it lets them uh, get power for themselves somehow, they will fucking take that right, chance and right. run with if, it. Right. If you let if, if letting a dog play football allows you unparalleled control of the government, <laughs> you will let that dog play football. Uh. You know, if 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 letting a dog play football leads to dictatorships. Dogs will play football. Yep. And that is why, like, you know, for better or worse, that is why constitutions are often these very arcane, highly complex, you know, contracts, essentially. Because not only do you have to write – because not only do you have to write in your constitution that dogs cannot play football, that's only talking about what you understand in your own life now. Now in 2019, you say dogs cannot play football because you know what dogs and football are. But – what if what if what if two hundred years from now, when you're dead, uh, they make a new sport, you know, um, um, sootball, and <laughs> and 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 sootball has as much political now, now, uh, importance. Now football, now football involves like uh, I don't know, nuclear weapons. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They're kicking or, footballs around like nukes, like it's fucking Zabungle over here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's a better thing. Yeah, like you can't even imagine that right now because they're like, well, it's just football. Surely that can't happen. But you need to even think about like a possible like thing like, you know, possible possibilities that could happen centuries from now. You know, it's it's why often, you know, it's why constitutions often use very like general language because it allows you to to uh in, in in interpret it in in ways that can be still relevant hundreds of years later but uh anyways rudolph uh, becomes prime minister and president of parliament and then proceeds to ban free speech and become president for life <laughs> um founding the galactic empire year one yeah uh oh boy it's bad yeah and you know, uh, uh ej mckenzie says a historian ej mckenzie Notes how this is a very conspicuous example of people preferring to just sit back and do what they're told and avoid the responsibility of independent thought. Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing, like, we live in a democratic nation, so it's very easy for us to be like, wait, hi, wait, how could you let that happen? Well, maybe not these days. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know, I think it's very understandable, right, that, it is. you know, the comfort of giving up responsibility for liberty, like, because there's the thing, right, democracy I mean, like, is hard. I like, fucking looked up a voting guide when I was, when it was election time, because yeah. I didn't want to go through and look at all of them, you know, all of them individually. Right. Because I was just very... like, what does this person tell me to vote for? How yeah. about I just do that? No, it's totally understandable because, like, here's the thing: democracy is hard. Like, democracy is a diff- is a difficult political system because it requires, theoretically, it requires every voter to be informed about invested, every pop- every yeah. be, not be informed, but yes, invested and aware of every candidate, and that's very difficult. Like, especially in the kind of world we live in these days, where 
politicians will go out of their way to kind of masquerade and obs- obscure their their political machinations and goals, you know, for one reason or another. And so in a way, it's like, you know, dictators are bad, but if a dictator says, you know, jump, and all I have to do is say how high, that's a lot easier than, you know, uh, yeah, than, than researching, you know, 20 different brands of jump rope, I guess. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah. so that's all well and good, except our, our friend Rudy here starts some... Um, uh, stamping out humanity's evil practices, and uh, one of those evil practices is apparently uh, is apparently uh, bad genetics because he yeah. passes the inferior genes exclusion mentioned law. a long time ago with Overstein. Uh, yes, that uh, we got to get rid of we, we got to get rid of the bad eggs, and by yeah. bad eggs I mean uh, brown people. And people who don't have Germanic names. So. Oh boy, yeah. So like he get this whole sequence of how he wishes for uh, you know social Darwinism. Huma- humanity must uh, purge its weaker parts and yeah. prosper. And right. So you know to make sure fo- get all these file photos, these stock photographs of how he removed social welfare, regarded the handicapped and poor as abnormal. You know, yes. uh, forced sterilization, euthanasia oh, yeah. of the mentally yep. ill. Yep, all pictures the you know, corpses, just, pictures yeah, of corpses, ki- pictures yeah, just, of corpses. Just kind of going for the the hat trick of uh, what we call in this book. I have uh, bad stuff, really, <laughs> really bad stuff. <laughs> um, you know, he also goes on to dissolve parliament. Because yeah, you know, some of, them are, some of them are criticizing him. Parliament yeah, over. Yeah, So, you know what? Get rid of Parliament so no longer there's no longer any accountability in the government's hunts of what they call political and ideological criminals. Yep. We're getting executions yep. without trials. That's up the secret police who just yeah. kill people. Yeah, just kill people yeah. without, you know, or, without, you know, uh, oh, no, without we accountability. Didn't they, just, they just disappeared after we sent them to yeah. the planet. It's fine. And then we finally arrive at what I find is a very interesting point. They mention that these horrible atrocities, all of these people, all these horrible things, these two, four billion people being killed. What a fucking number. Like, four billion. How many people like, live on like, this planet right now? That's like half of our current so population. What's fucking, you want your fucking, you're all like, oh, Thanos was right, idiot assholes who. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just kill half of the people on this earth because they. Yes. Are not, now, as, not what you not, believe not, to be the not ideal. Your, right, not your preferred ideal. And then, but then here's the thing they bring up a very yes. interesting point in that four, it was four billion killed out of 300 billion. So, right. if of you wanted to, a total of humanity's population. Yes. So, if you wanted to, you could frame this as "quote unquote" only one percent of society. You could argue that this is no. maybe an acceptable loss for the good for, of mankind, yeah, for the peace and welfare of the majority of humankind. We've eradicated some dangerous elements, and I think this is very important. Like how, I think this is a great point because it gets to how important presentation is, because four billion is horrible. Even that's, four billion, yeah. It's even four million, yes. But what I mean is, no, it, it is an it is an unconscionable number of deaths, of 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 murders, you know, of state mandated murder. But if you phrase it as only one percent, I think there's enough people out there who like. I think well, yeah, there's enough people we'll out there who will wipe out one point three percent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think 
I think there are definitely people out there, you know, and heck, I'm sure there's people who watch this episode who were like, hell yeah, only 1%, I would gladly kill 1% of the population to fix humanity. Alright, like, let me line up every 1 out of 10 people in front of you and you can pull the goddamn trigger yourself. Well, technically that would be 10%, but yes, yeah, I yeah. totally get what you mean. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, but yes, it's, it's very easy to like, depending on how you frame it, it's very easy to think of something as reasonable. You know, I was going to say even four billion sounds like, oh, it's just a number, you know, compared to the people, you know. Yes. Oh, for sure. For sure. Not to try out the old Stalin quote, you know, one death is a tragedy and a million is a statistic, but four billion is such an unconscionably large number. It's almost difficult to truly wrangle with like the kind of wholesale slaughter that must have occurred under a golden bombs rule. And because of this, yeah. he uh, finally decides that not only does he need to do all this, but he also needs to create a new class of society new that he can deem superior. A new upper class needs to be created to support his dynasty. And they, this show fucking goes for it. This show started 30 years ago. Yeah, and here's a part of the show where I feel like they very... I feel like Legend of the Galactic Heroes usually does not go for the throat like this. It usually does oh. not like get this like aggressive in its... Uh, in its politics, but then it, it, the, the, the documentary's like, but also, hey, funnily, weird, uh, Rudolph conspicuously picked only white people with Germanic names as his chosen superior race. Yeah. And so none of them uh, felt like uh, correcting him at all. Weird. Yeah, weird, huh? That fucking str- <laughs> strange, his master race is only these people, this highly specific slice of the God human damn. race. And, um... Other reason we like the FPA board the Empire, they are of racial diversity. Yeah, yeah. They got they got dudes like Yang Wen Li and uh and uh Louis I don't know Mishengo. what Louis Mashengo. I was I was trying I was I was, I was gonna say Castle but I don't even know what kind of fucking last name Castle is. I don't, I don't know. know what freaking ethnicity that comes uh, from. Sid- Sydney Sitale. Yes, yes. They got yes, yes, they have well it's That's not even the diversity I care about so much as the not murdering people who are not the right race well, okay, thing, yeah. really. <laughs> that is the actual concern I have here, but yes, I totally get you. But yeah, but, uh, but, uh, yeah. and as the end of Rudolph's life approached, right? Yes. Like, uh, uh, as Rudolph uh, li- Rudolph's life ends, uh, his succession becomes something of a... Right. Uh, he only had daughters uh, with yes. his empress. Although... Yes. Uh, rumor has it that his he had a son with one of his mistresses. Yes. But the subtitles say here, was born a congenital idiot. Which I think is maybe the way they the, the way they translated like mentally disabled back in the day. Right. But, you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, and they say there are technically no records of this. But considering everyone involved with this potential birth uh, were all sentenced to death. It's a little uh, conspicuous. Yeah. But, uh, but yes, but hey, just kind of the, yeah. the final irony of uh, Rudolf Gold- Bond- There's Goldman the nail Bond in your fucking coffin, you who put up the Inferior Genes Exclusion Act. Yes. But anyways, with uh, Rudolf's passing, um, Sigismund I succeeds Rudolf, and uh, under his uh, weaker rule, um, 500 million uh, rebels decide to uh, kind of Throw, uh, throw an uprising against the Empire, but... Uh, 500 million people executed. 
Yes, unfortunately, it was forces. Yes, brutally put down, and um, and all of their known associates are reduced to serfdom. Yes, and an additional ten billion are deprived of citizenship and made serfs. And this is more people than are on this planet right now. Yes, that's a helpful reminder. Ten billion is also a very large number. Uh, but we start to begin to see the uh, the rise of something new here. Uh, on one of these uh, concentration camp farms, whatever, Yeah, we have one uh, Ale, Ale Heineken, Heineken, who has the idea to use uh, their inexhaustible supply of ice. I guess they're ice miners or something, yep. to, uh, to build a spaceship inside of the ice that could uh, slip past the Empire's radar. big ass spaceship. Fair. Yes, these are these are very big. I think spaceships. I went over this in an earlier episode because I didn't know what was you know I read the first chapter of the novel or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, and they kind of mentioned some stuff like this. Yes, which uh, I don't know. Ice missiles to break the Argo's necklace. Yes, yes, but uh, as as absurd as it sounds, Legend of the Galactic Heroes does a pretty good job of justifying it by being like, no, no, they just built the ship inside of the ice. It's not like. Right. It's not like the ice itself was the spaceship, which was originally why I was kind of incredulous at the concept. But uh, yeah. but anyways, uh, 400,000 um, refugees successfully escape in their disguised ships and uh, kind of uh, begin their search in the uncharted space for a you know a habitable planet. The 10,000 light year march. Yes, they call it. Uh, and uh, over for their number die on the way. Yes, yes. Including Heineson. Yes, including Heineson himself, which, you know, well, you know, look. Yeah, but, you know. all rolling, and that's what's important. His best friend, Nguyen Kim Hoa. Kim ha. Yes, yes, is uh, Heineson's successor. It's the true and, founder uh, of the uh, yes. Free Plants Alliance. Yes, they finally found, find the planet that uh, begin to... They, they find the planet where they form the FPA, and over the next century, they kind of build up their new planet until... Uh, Eventually, the FPA and the Empire meet a uh, hundred years later, and uh, as people are wont to do when they meet foreigners for the first time, they yep. start shooting each other. You know, the FPA, the FPA has been preparing to meet the Empire, whereas the Empire yes. had no idea the FPA existed. Exactly, exactly. So you're kind of caught off guard. So you, we, we kind of, you know, we get the this do, this documentary helps show us the rare period where I guess the FPA apparently had its shit together. Yeah, because uh, the the FPA fleet, which was led by one Supreme Commander, Lin Pao. That's pretty all right. Yeah, yeah. Lin Pao looks all right. I don't know a goddamn thing about Lin Pao other than how he looks in this flashback, but <laughs> I want I, I want the chronicles of motherfucking Supreme Commander Lin Pao because this dude looks like a freaking hybrid of Shen Kop and Yang Wenli. <laughs> and you know what? If I feel like if Shen Kopp and Yang Wen Li did the fusion dance, I can't imagine a more powerful being in this universe. <laughs> so, you know what? I, this Lin Pao dude was probably up perhaps to something. They even, perhaps they could even defeat the legendary Super Saiyan Broly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yes, eventually, uh, but eventually the news of the FPA uh, leads to a lot of refugees um, leaving the Empire for the FPA. Yeah. Um, kind of kind of coming to the new nation and in some ways also kind of changing its demographics and ideology. Yeah. At least that's how the documentary puts it, which would eventually lead to kind of the modern situation yep. uh, we now have between the FPA, the Empire, and Tazan uh, in the middle. 
No, they say that the first Landisher of Fazan was born on Earth. Which is... Yeah, which is weird. It's a weirdly specific detail, because, um... Considering that right now, Fazan is like, Haha, we're, we, the Earth cult will rule all. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's an interesting thing to bring up, you know? And I think that that little detail, I think, perhaps speaks to, uh... To a lot more about Fazan's origins than they are necessarily showing us right now, but uh, yeah, yeah, and, uh, really, really good but very dense episode. Just yeah, really and, uh, dense weeds of uh, had to catch the present. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a cool episode though. Like the like the format of the documentary kind of really it does an amazing job of just really building the world of legend of the galactic heroes without, you know, doing the dry thing of just having the narrator kind of state it. Right. Because we've already seen to this point how Yulian's growth and we've seen Yang's reliance on history and we've seen Yulian wish to please Yang. And so it makes perfect sense that we would watch Yulian try to learn the history of his own nation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I think in a way it's it's good because, you know, this episode also speaks to kind of the importance of uh, hi- historiography, you know, which is basically the concept that history is not objective, you know, that history is not a history is not an objective listing of facts and dates and numbers. It, it, history is a chronicle. It is it, it is a chronicle curated. Of, it is a curated chronicle of our own as of now current observations of the past based on the information we have available to us and how we choose to editorialize that information. You know, again, you know, that is not to say that this FBA documentary is uh, disingenuous or, or, or fraudulent, but it is that important reminder that in universe, this is history as known by the FBA, you know, like this version of this version of the documentary, you know, made in the empire is probably something very different. Oh yeah. You know, like, like in some ways, like it's like you know, not not to even go the whole, not even to even tread into the you know both sides, you know, fallacy. But like, it does make me wonder. Well, what would a what would an empire produce documentary about you know uh, Rudolf you know Rudolf Goldenbaum's uh, dynasty look like? Like, or what is the good they focus on then? You know, like what is the what like or is it not even the good they focus on? But how do they choose to then editorialize the events that did happen? Like when we talk right. about like, how like oh. Uh, Rudolph, you know, uh, you know, uh, created the new upper class, you know, that is all, you know, white Germanic people. Like, does the Empire version of that documentary frame that as a good thing? Does that it does it frame it as a necessary you thing? Know, he assembled the uh, cream of the crop for right. society's benefit. Right. right. Is, is is their version of that documentary that and then Rudolph did the amazing thing? He assembled the best that the Empire had to offer, and. And you know, uh, surround himself that. with you're right. Did they did he surround himself with the best and brightest? You know, yeah. Well, what else would you expect a leader to do? Exactly. Yes, of course. Clearly, you know, a leader will only su- surround themselves with the most qualified <laughs> and competent people. Surely. <laughs> <sighs> Anyways, oh, yeah. not long, and we got one more episode, so uh, we better just. <laughs> Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Empire is preparing for their new offensive, you know, and public opinion is with them. Yes, 
Yes, Reinhardt's strategy. How dare those cowards kidnap our Kaiser, take them to the FPA. How dare the FPA collaborate on this heinous yeah. plot. Exactly. Reinhardt's strategy has worked out perfectly. It has emboldened the people to sign up, you know, on mass. At those recruitment offices. Yes. You know, uh, and, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a bad situation. And this episode kind of focuses on both the FPA and the Empire is kind of, uh, they're beginning to plan around this because, you know, everybody knows war is coming and, well, maybe not the FPA, but there are elements within the FPA that have to begin trying to uh, get ready for it. You know, so we kind of lead off with um, with uh, ya- uh, not young uh, Julian, Mini with Bukok, and yeah, Lewis on their on their way to meet with Bukok. It was also yes. Julian mentions that his like reassignment appointment or whatever at the office took five minutes, but he had to wait two hours because this. The in the inefficiency of social services. Yes. yes. Like uh, Lewis, society Lewis has Bichon. declined to such a point that you know they just don't have the manpower to staff this thing properly. Yeah. You know, as as Louis Mashenko with the wisdom states, uh, social services are just inefficient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, we see like fucking food lines. You know, groceries yeah. are being rationed. It's uh, it's, it's a grim looking situation. The capital of the FPA is in such a poor state. Yes, but anyway, so Julian meets up with Bukok to uh, deliver his letter. You know, we we get some more of that good ass FPA dynamic. You know, where Bukok's basically just you know talking hot shit for five minutes straight. Julian's <laughs> like, you seem well. Bukok's like, quit talking shit, boy. I'm getting closer to the hell every day. Right, uh, when I right. get to see Rudolph being boiled, it'll be great. Yes, yes. I think he says, as quoted here, I am looking forward to seeing Rudolph boiling in a cauldron. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, also, also, also quoted, I am a Yang Wenli fan. So, same. Uh, you know, you know? All right. yeah, same. Big mood. Um, uh, <laughs> but yes, they also kind of get into this idea that... Um, that, uh, yeah, like, as we stated before, that uh, a lot of this is probably just to kind of dilute Yang's cabinet, you know, like, getting rid of Julian, getting rid of Murkatz, yeah. and Bukok kind of has the, like, foreboding um, statement that, in all likelihood, uh, HQ will continue to drag people away from Iserlone. Like, it's only it's only started now with, you know, Julian and Murkatz, but they will keep pulling with as much rope as they're afforded. Yep. You know, you know come hell or high water. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, but we go there from, um, let's see, what is it now? Uh, Empire, Reinhardt's yes. Roundtable. Yes, so I've gathered you all here today is to hear your opinions regarding, uh, the offensive. But also, yes. let me tell you my ideas first. And, right. uh, and then, I'll, as you all point out the problems with my plan, I'll tell you to shut up because it's my plan. Yeah, uh, we could have gone on the floor, like, 20 minutes about this, but that's essentially the core thing. <laughs> I mean, is that, uh, yeah, as much as Reinhard wants to, like, put up the veneer of creating, you know, like, listening to people's opinions, let's say, he, even when they point out the problems, he's still just, like, 
tells them off and you know then goes for the emotional beat of declaring that it's Operation Ragnarok and yeah I mean like essentially young down yeah like essentially like I mean I mean Reinhardt essentially Reinhardt's thing is like he's basically like like the guy who like gets all his friends together and is like hey guys how are we gonna solve this problem well before any of you guys start here's my idea and then. At, at the end of the day, regardless of what anybody else says, at the end of the day, they, they just go with Reinhardt's idea, and he closes the meeting. Like, man, I'm really glad we talked this out. Yep. And you know, like, there's some good moments here. Like, as always, you know, just Bittenfield is just always fucking ready to go. Like, <laughs> like you know, Bittenfield's like, uh, Reinhardt, send me. Just send me charging straight, and I want to go through Fazan first. Fazan. Right, like, Roytel's like, uh, what if Fazan fucking, like, closes off on us, like, from behind, and, you know, and then he goes, ah, then I'll just go back and smash him up, too. And it's like, oh, Bitfield. Uh, also, a good part here where, like, they're talking about this all, right? And then one of the admirals is like, you know, this is a fantastic plan, but what about Young Wen Lee? <laughs> and I love... <laughs> Reinhardt's like, it's fine, we'll, we're distracting you alone with another fleet. And he'll be young when Lee will be stuck at you alone, and we'll go through Fazan, and then they're just like, okay, yeah, but what about young when Lee? Right, right. I kind of love that. Just the, this young when Lee, bleh, young when Lee's reputation with amongst the Empire is just so like embedded into their consciousness that like these people cannot like fucking take a piss without worrying about what young when Lee is up to, like. No plan, no plan, no plan the Empire ever makes from here on out can ever can ever not include what what is the what what is the how do we deal with Yang Wen Li? Because yep. you leave that man to his own devices and he will he will entrap you in a weird donut shaped formation and and pound you in the butt. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Yang Wen Li's plans, uh turns out his plan is the very thing that Royenthal is worried about, which is that Fazan itself might try to resist the Empire's uh, approach. Right. So that, so that was that was the contents of the letter that Julian gave to Bucock was basically yes. how we can uh, sort of we put together a grassroots movement on Fazan to a uh, yeah stop because, the Empire's advance. Right. Right. Basically, Yang realizes that well, the FPA is gonna isn't going to commit fucking shit to defending the Fazan Corridor. So in that case, our only hope is to basically encourage, yeah, like an on-the-ground um, kind of, you know, uh, sentiment of resistance against the Empire at Fazan itself. And that even if Fazan doesn't really have the military fleet to really stand up to the Empire, that if Fazan puts up a hard enough fight, right. that that will be enough to at least buy the FPA a little bit of breathing room. And yes, as you say, Roentel also kind of keenly recognizes that that could easily be the case. And I'm sure even Reinhardt gets it. And I think this is a very interesting thing now because I'm very I'm very curious how this is going to go because, I don't know, maybe it's just my interpretation, but I don't... Like, as much as Rubinsky has vocalized that he plans to support the Empire, yeah. I also don't... I think the thing we need to realize here is that... Uh, Baltic, the the Fazan liaison in the Empire, yes, the one who's actually giving Reinhard permission to go through the Fazan corridor. It's kind of an interesting situation because it feels to me like both Fazan and the Empire are kind of leaving Baltic out to try. 
On both oh, yes. sides. Yes. Oh yes. Like both that sides are. So, that guy is so fucked. Oh no, this dude uh, is hell of fucked because. <laughs> Because the thing with Baltic, right? The Baltic situation is basically, regardless of whether this plan actually works or not, both sides can easily throw him away as a result of it. Like, and that's kind of what I mean. Is like because Baltic is doing this without Rubinsky's like tacit approval, it does make me wonder that when the Empire shows up at Fazan's doorstep, like we've seen, we've seen, we've seen Rubinsky plan and plot in the long term. We've seen the way like. Like, if you want to talk about tactics versus strategy, Rubinsky is strategy incarnate. Like, the dude is all plans. It's all conspiracy. I almost kind of want to see what happens if you put Rubinsky up against the corner. What does a guy like him do? Like, is Rubinsky the kind of guy who, like, steeples his fingers and chuckles and be like, of course, you invading Fazan was all part of my plan, you know? Like, release the dogs. Or, like... Is he going to be a little caught off guard by Reinhardt's audacity to just punch right through Fazan, whether they have permission or not? Or or is Rubinsky going to let it pass through and be like... Because yeah. there's also a version of this where Rubinsky realizes he cannot actually win a fight, or obviously cannot win a fight against Reinhardt, yeah. and lets Reinhardt just pass by and says, well, that's fine for now, but you know, uh, I'll uh, make good use of this later down the line, basically. We also got Rupert Katzelink uh, showing up in Rubinsky's office to basically say, we need to keep an eye on Julian Minty. Uh, yes, yes. Even the, even <clears throat> as far as Fazan, the, the legend of Julian grows. But, uh, but Rubinsky doesn't think it's a big deal, as, or as big a deal. Um, right. He's just a kid. Right. And Rupert's like, I'm going to take you down, Agent Rubinsky. <laughs> I'm going to take right. all your power by force. Yes, yes. So it's it's we're finally in some like infighting and Fazan. Yeah, totally. Anyways, this episode starts to clean up towards the end. We have um, we have Reinhardt kind of talking about like, I think I think he's talking about talking about this with Hilda, isn't it? Like like basically, or, what are you going to do? Overstein, my bad. Overstein. Well, once we destroy the FPA, who's oh, going to yeah. rule it? And I'm Reinhardt's just going to think about as if I've already won. Yeah, and Reinhardt's like, oh. Well, what if I make Yang Wen Lee the new governor of Earth or uh, of the FPA? Right. And it's kind of like this fun like bit where you realize, oh, like I do I respect Yang Wen Lee. Right. Not only does Renard respect Yang Wen Lee, but like there is certainly a version, there is a dimension in which like Reinhardt and Yang Wen Lee team up and rule the fucking universe. Like <laughs> Like it's a Yang Wen Lee that would never. It's not the Yang Wen Lee we know, and it's because the Yang Wen Lee we know would never accept such a deal. But like, yeah, there is totally a version of this where those two put their heads. The Galactic alternative, uh, right? right. Yeah, they put their heads together, like fucking, just conquer the entire universe. Yeah, uh, and you know, uh, Bitter Meyer and Rolienthal are sitting in their car on the way home after the meeting, and. Talking about how it's possible that they'll have to plunder Fazan for resources. Yeah, they're like, well, what if they just do the same thing that we did to them during like the armless? Right. Yeah, pretty much. Like, and like, you know, yeah, I get this great line from Mittermeier. He's like, I don't mind being a subjugator, but a pillager? Nah, too much. That's too that's, far. That's what, that's what bad guys do. Right, and they basically say like, well, it'll, it'll be Reinhardt's decision. And Roenthal's like, hmm, Reinhardt's decision, huh? 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely an aspect of this where you could argue that, like, Mittermeier is essentially, like, Mittermeier is doing what we talked about. Like, he's he such is an uh, optimist. <laughs> well, not just that he's an optimist, but in a way, he is giving up the moral responsibility, like, the burden of moral yeah. responsibility. Like, he's saying, because like, here's the thing if Reinhardt orders, orders him to pillage, he'll pillage. And he'll, as he said, well, it was Reinhardt's decision. Like, I, I, I'm not a bad guy. I'm just following orders. Right. You know, and I and, think Grenfell, uh, meanwhile, is kind of like, hmm. Yeah. I wonder about that. As if on cue, they see somebody in a car passing past them. Right. And they're like, oh. hey, isn't that the leader of the really fucked up, corrupt secret police in that car? What a highly specific individual to be shouldn't driving. He, shouldn't he be in prison? Right. And, but Mueller is like, oh, Reinhardt would never resurrect the secret police. Right. Reinhardt would never, ever bring back the secret police. We don't need to worry. They're probably just giving him a ride. Yeah. Royal no, Yeah. Royal thinks to himself that uh, even though currently Reinhardt's decisions are all, you know, good, um, if they ever stop, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. If they ever do. And, uh, yeah, we find out that, uh, well, turns out it's Oberstein who has decided to bring <laughs> back... meeting with Hadrick Lang, the fucking slimiest motherfucker in this entire show so far, yes, if you ask most, me. Like, yes, the, like, this is the I, grossest, yeah. shittiest person I have I, seen in the show up till now. Like, I am... More impressed. than Andrew Fork, more than Job Trunix. Like, they have, in the ma- span of five this minutes, guy. like, this fucking, like... This fucking like Goebbels ask motherfucker. There's like this this Himmler ass fucking like 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 this fucking like you know this this is one of the dudes who would be hanging out in Hitler's fucking like bunker at the end of World War Two. Like yeah. this is one of those guys. Like it, this guy like because within five minutes he basically explains that like oh no like the government is inherently about the minority ruling the majority. That like it's that's democracy just a, rule is a lie. And... Yeah, like yeah, like democracy. Like they're they're actually this dude Hadrian Lang basis. Actually, democracy is the real fascism. Like <laughs> that is literally this dude. I hate Scott. <laughs> he is the worst. And like you know what? Fucking hey, I'm sorry, Oberstein. You have a cute dog, but you're just as bad. <laughs> you they right. literally I mean, Oberstein's Hadrian... meeting with this guy because he wants to. Uh, basically, or he's okay. Overstein's pretending it's not his idea, but also he is meeting with Hedrick Lang, right? Uh, right. Like, like, and and you and Overstein and them basically, you know, come, you know, basically together workshop a new name for the same old job. Like they're like, well, we can't call you the secret police anymore, uh, but uh, we'll come up with a new name that will basically do I, the no, exact I, same I, fucked up the shit. The fucking setup of this though is like. Oberstein is like, oh well, your your honeyed words sound quite nice, but also we cannot possibly revive the secret police. It's been disbanded. Like it would be, it would be opposite from all the reforms, and like the populace would hate us. We need to come up with a different name. It's just like yeah, that's applying to that speech. It's just you motherfucker. Yeah, no, it is so fucking bad. But also, I think it's super interesting. I think. Oh yeah, it's very because here's the thing. This is the first explicit time we have seen Oberstein start to make his own moves. Uh, yeah. That's the first time we have seen. Uh, yes. I mean, other than the um, uh, the nuking stuff. 
Uh, but even then, that is Reinhardt is still implicit in that because he doesn't make right. a choice. Right. Overstein is just choosing to put together the secret police behind right. Reinhardt's like, back. Like, oh, right. Like as far as we know, Reinhardt knows nothing about this. This is entirely Overstein's choice. And for now. For now, you could charitably say that, oh, Oberstein is doing this for the good of the Empire. That, oh, Oberstein is the realistic one who realizes, oh, like, Reinhardt's, you know, reforms are good and all, but we need the secret police to get the real shit done, you know? And it very much kind of falls into that kind of very, like, hyper-cynical thinking of, like, oh, like, good stuff is weak and ineffectual. Like, if you want to get real work done, you have to get dirty. And it's like... That's a fucking fallacy. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's a take for sure, and it's one that uh, Hadrick Lang, uh, no relation to a uh, known monster, uh, Dave Lang, uh, is a uh, no relation <laughs> there. But, you know, bears a striking similarity, I would say. But uh, again, now we're now we're making inside jokes about inside uh, podcasts. So that's true. All right, I'm just gonna say that this guy is gross. Oberstein is gross. Um, true. All these things are true. And then. Yeah. You know, the, uh, and then Reinhardt uh, has a part conversation with Hilda. Yeah. And uh, you know what? It's kind of, once again, I think very telling about uh, kind of uh, kind of where Reinhardt's at these days. Right. I mean, Hilda asks if there's no way to coexist with FPA, and Reinhardt goes in this whole fucking prepared speech about how, like, the FPA signed their own death warrant by taking care of the Kaiser and such when like, like conveniently ignoring the fact that he's the one who allowed this plot to take place. Right. First place. Right. Like this entire situation happens because he allowed it to happen. Like he can, he can make all of this rhetoric. He can make all these speeches to everybody in the empire, to his admirals, that this is our moral imperative, that it is our moral imperative to defeat the FPA and, overthrow the tyranny they have created by by uh, uh harboring Erwin Yosef. But like when, yeah, you do. you might as well hand in Erwin Yosef to them on a fucking silver platter. Yeah, like this is all on you. You started this war. Like so to get back to like objective moral goods, I think this <laughs> uh, is now where like why like I think we often criticize Reinhardt because even if he is striving for objective moral goods like equality and social welfare and political accountability, at the end of the day, his methods are terrible. Yes, he's using some objectively terrible methods. Like, like this war will kill millions. All those people we saw signing up for the war, like on the Empire side because of Reinhardt's speech, all of those people are probably gonna die. Like, <laughs> like even like here's the thing. I think the FPA is fucked. I, I don't see how the FPA wins this war. I right. I could easily see the end of season two being the just actual dissolution of the FPA. Just like <laughs> straight up. I could see that be the end of season two with the way this is going. But all that said, even if that does happen, like the FPA is not going to take this lying down. Like if the Empire might win this war, but they will pay for it in blood. Like, right. It's not like, as no matter how much uh, Reinhardt's framing it as, like, we'll smash over them, like, it's still a war. You're still yeah. going to take some hits. Yeah, people will die. And, again, Yang Wen Li, the, the fucking the chess piece that can move onto any square, uh, uh, can shoot uh, five spaces away, can fly, can teleport, actually. 
that 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 chess piece that is known as Yang Wen Li is still in play on the board. And as we saw with Geiersberg, Yang Wen Li doesn't like to spill blood, but when he does, the the consequences are catastrophic. <laughs> Like, if Yang Wenli used his powers for evil, like, the amount of blood shed would be, would, would, would fill the fucking ocean of one of these two planets. Like, let's, let's yeah. not get here. And, and the fact of the matter is that both Reinhardt and Rubinsky are poking at that bear's nest. They're, they're totally like, they're jabbing at Yang Wenli, they're daring him. They're like, come on, like, they're show us your the thread. Right, we're tied to the thread. Like, come on, show us your worst, John Wenli. What do you got? What are you going to do to me, huh? Huh? Bullying what are you going to do? Dragon. It's like, it's like you, 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 they're bullying a magician is what they're doing. It's <laughs> dangerous. That's dangerous, uh, man. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, fucking Reinhard, uh, speechifies to himself that, uh, now he can't turn back no. because if he turn if he turns back now, who could possibly restore harmony to the universe? Could he live with himself if he entrusted the future of humanity to the high nobles or to the demagogues of Fazan who are moved only by prophets? It's like, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's chill. Yeah, no, it's it's again. I, I it, this is just Reinhard pontificating because at the end of the day, like. In the same way that everybody always says that Reinhardt always sets up situations to benefit him, right? Reinhardt never creates situations. Reinhardt in in this entire show, in this entire show up until this point, Reinhardt has never been put in a situation he did not engineer himself. Yeah, saying that I have no choice just means you've already chosen. There's yeah, already an alternative somewhere. Which I think even, is even if that alternative is to do nothing, you know, right? Like, which I think is interesting because. Reinhardt specifically says, like, in his whole speech to the admirals, he says that invading the FPA, like, the thing that we need to escape is narrow thinking. That we always need to, like, think outside the box. But at the same time, Reinhardt never gives people the chance to escape narrow thinking. He always says they have no choice. He when he says they need we to must escape, escape a narrow thinking, but here's this corridor of thinking that you must follow. Right. He says that there is no, and in ways I think we are beginning to already see the genesis of Reinhardt's perhaps like inabilities, inability to give up control. Like, like we need to escape narrow thinking. So here, travel this track that I've laid out for you. You know, like, and the fact that he even started this war in the first place, like. Like, he didn't need to. Like, we saw in the beginning of Season 2 that the Empire was in a better place than it's ever been. Like... Yeah. Even... I mean... Like, you could you could, you could, could almost justify the battle against Ezerlone because you could make, you can make the entirely, you know, justified and rightful claim that, hey, that is Empire territory. Like, you didn't build Ezerlone, that's ours. Like, give it back. Right. You can almost justify that. That battle, to an extent is understandable from the Empire's viewpoint. But this war? Right, this they're, is, at a, they're, they're at a military stalemate, basically. But Yeah, yeah, like, this war, however, this, Operation Ragnarok is just, 
this is just this is just Reinhard warmongering. This is yeah. he's just out for blood for no reason essentially. Like because what because what is the actual goal here to 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 take over the FPA like unify like, the what, galaxy right for what reason what to unify the galaxy like. It's like incredibly vague goal, right? It's this incredibly vague to goal. What and, end? Right, exactly to what end? Because here, time to get in some last minute speculation before we end this podcast. But I mean, he talked about how, like, with this war, with this war, he needs to end the FPA because because Reiner always says, "Oh, I, I just I want I want to fix everything, but I just can't as long as the FPA exists, as long as bad guys exist. I just don't have time to fix the world." Here's the thing. I don't think it will ever end. Oh, yeah. There will never there will never come a time when Reinhard doesn't say that his hands aren't tied and that there isn't some war that he is morally obligated to fight. Yeah. Reinhard will always chase uh, will always chase an, an an enemy to fight. He will because as much as Reinhard is this like great inspiring figure I feel like the important thing we have to remember is that his entire life has been defined by war. Yeah. Like, I just, I don't know if there is such a thing as a peacetime Reinhardt. And I think what we're seeing is the beginning of, like, you know, the, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the kind of 1984, we, we have always been at war with East Asia sort of thing. <laughs> like, I think Reinhardt will just never... Reinhardt will personally ensure that he never runs out of enemies to fight yeah. because that is hard coded into his philosophy that mankind constantly needs an enemy to struggle against to, to be great. And if there are no enemies left to fight, he will create them. Yeah. And uh, yeah. what that does for the empire, I think remains to be seen. But uh, huh, with all, with yeah. all that, <laughs> uh, and uh, lastly, the, uh, the brand new Kaiser to the Golden One Dynasty's crown. Ah, uh, yes, the yes. eight-month-old Kaiserin Catherine. Yes, yes, the first Kaiserin in the Empire's history. Which again, my dude, this absurd image of this yes. swaddled baby, like on the throne, lying uh, on. The- yeah like not even large enough to sit in it it's it's look i think everybody knows how we feel at this point about monarchies but again this is why i point to this shit and i'm like that's fucked up you cannot run a government like this people like you cannot have your your finest minds and greatest thinkers in the world sitting in your capital office being like going to a baby right like be like well Yes, according to the rules here, uh, the baby is the next king. I guess that's just how it works. Like, no, th- <laughs> you, you don't do that. <laughs> like, I feel like this, I feel like situa- situations like this. Hell, the situation with Erwin Yosef are why, like, I cannot help but side eye. Yeah, we were, we were, at, like, we were like, this is ridiculous with Erwin Yosef, and it's just even more ridiculous now, right? Like, we thought it was. Baby. Yeah, we thought it was crazy when oh the crown doesn't fit on his head, haha. But also, also, this kid tears his bears apart and fucking is not fit to rule a country. It's a baby; he can't speak. <laughs> oh man, yes. It can't care for itself. 
And, and and I think in some ways, I mean, I think I'm sure that's intentional. I think Legend of, of Black Heroes is very much trying to be I'm like, like yeah, look absolutely. at the absurdity of this. Like, what kind of government? Like, what kind of government did did a uh, old Rudy Goldenbaum create that could specifically uh, allow for this? And not allow, allow for this. Encourage this. Yeah, yeah. It's but hey, how do we keep the power within a very small circle? Yeah. Well, anyways, though that, that's the. Yeah. That's these three episodes. Of, uh, yeah, and we move until like yeah, Fizan stuff probably a lot coming up. I yeah, assume. yeah. Hopefully, I'm mean, hopefully we're gonna get some episodes with uh, Julian's new adventures with Louis Mashengo uh, and oh, Fizan. Yeah. Maybe we'll get some. Uh, I don't know. We'll get Forest some like mon- maybe we'll get like a montage of like Yang failing to get out of bed in time or something. <laughs> I'd like to mer- learn more about what the hells with the earth cult um yeah i think i think we'll definitely see some of that uh i, th- I think it would definitely be interesting just seeing fazan in general because we've only ever seen fazan from the inside of like rubinsky's office <laughs> that's right yes like i kind of want to know what fazan like society is as a whole you know like is everybody just a fucking swindler fucking cheat liar person or like is there more to that planet than than the rubinsky's so to speak but um yeah we're already running real late, so we'll save we that for another podcast. So <laughs> we're gonna just do some. We're gonna just roll right into the housekeeping. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can watch Legend of the Galactic Heroes on High Dive and Verve. Yeah, you can uh, listen to our podcast, Legend of the Glorio Heroes, on theglorioblog.com, along with all of our other written content. Uh, you can listen to uh, Legend of the Glorio Heroes on iTunes and Podbean. Uh, you can also uh, check it out on YouTube if you Google, like, Legend of the Glorio Heroes or something. Like, comment, and subscribe. Yeah, all that shit. All, all that, that influencer shit. shit that you watch every day yeah, yeah. on YouTube. Look, do it guys, all but for us, your friends. Yeah, your look, guys, just, yeah, look, look, buddy, we just want a URL. Is that so much to ask for? Don't you think more people should know about us? <laughs> but, Tell your uh, friends. Tell your enemies, shit. Maybe they'll watch it. Maybe they'll listen to it out of spite. Who knows? Just to tell you how much we suck. Yeah, exactly. Um, you can also listen to our sister podcast, uh, the Glorio Chat, where we talk about um, planes and big ass ramps. Modern uh, anime. Yeah, modern anime, basically. You know, uh, planes and big ass ramps. And uh, I think with all that said, that's that's going to be a podcast. So yeah. as always, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, Eero, my wingman, thanks for flying with me here. Yeah, thanks for being there for me to fly with. Exactly, you know, the up here in the skies, man, we don't got borders up here. You know, uh, what color do you see? I see, uh, well, actually, technically, there's no color in space. What you're seeing is the absolute. <laughs> I see, light, I see a hundred so. billion stars and a hundred billion <laughs> lights. Uh, but Good night, yes. everyone. Yes, yes. So uh, we will see you all next time amongst the sea of stars.